And welcome back, everyone. This is the 34 Cersei Salon, the Parallax Channel, and we're going to be talking sports. And oh, do we have a lineup of sports aficionados here for you today. Folks, please welcome our trio of sports analysts from New Jersey, Howard Broadwin. Howard, welcome. Thank you, Sean. Pleasure to be here. Representing the City of the Angels, Eric Bauer. Ah, pleasure to be here, Sean. Thanks for having me. And the pride of West Texas, Richard Stone. Hi, gentlemen. Uh, thanks for having me. And, uh, of course, I, Sean Marlin Newcomb, represent the great borough of Staten Island. So let's jump into it. Sports relevancy, guys. That's what I wanted to talk about today. I just There's something about what I'm noticing in just popular consciousness ratings, things of that sort, where it seems like what sports represented to, say, all of us were all around the same age. When we were young, when we were little, we're still, we're still spry and young, but when we were little, sports was a really big part of culture and life. People shared it. Uh, first question would be, do you think sports has the same cultural relevancy that it did, say, 30 years ago? Anybody jump in? Yes, sports does, hundred okay. percent. How so? Because well, let me let's play devil's advocate. Ratings for major sport sports other than the NFL are far far down. Baseball, basketball, hockey. Now they're trending up a little recently, but they're far down from what they were in let's say the eighties and nineties. So well, how you, do you, Sean? The, the, mm -hmm. the metric that you're using might be outdated. Right. No, I, I know where you're going with this because that I think is a myth. The fact that streaming doesn't cover the rest of the stuff, even when you add streaming, YouTube and all that stuff in, still down. Yeah, I, I still don't think, yeah, the 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 metric of measuring, right? Of of like Nielsen ratings of how much how many eyes you're capturing. Mm -hmm. It's it's more difficult to parse now than it was 30 years ago. So it's hard to determine the influence. So right. give me an example. So we, uh, we know streaming is a, is a figure, but those figures are now being captured. doesn't change it a lot. Are you saying other, what other measures do you think aren't being included that, um, that for you, that for you show that the sport is still relevant? Okay. So one of the things, you know, since I have teenage kids, mm -hmm. they're all, you know, their measurements that they look at, right? It's like, who should I follow on Instagram, TikTok, okay. uh, Snap, or whatever the, the, the app of choices is, you know, followers and repeated um, tweets or repeated, you know, posting. And that that's the main determinant of what they're looking at. Okay. So so what does that what does that tell you about the sport? So you're saying that's what they follow and they look at. So what does that tell you? Is it is it saying to you that they're still following a lot of athletes, or just that that's how people judge it? They're, let's they're say, follow, yeah. Uh -huh. So for my son, you know, obviously he plays baseball, so he follows a couple of baseball players, but. He looks more at, you know, Formula One, 
he looks more at soccer and he looks more at um uh esports the east you know, the esport guys that he follows and mostly because their their content is you know more entertaining to him okay but that's that's still it do, that in that doesn't really undermine the notion that well okay let's maybe parse it out so are you saying that these other sports like esports and Formula One are picking up the slack of where the uh, where the traditional American and we're talking about American sports we're four American guys where traditional America. American sports were once yeah, there you yeah. Go, were once there so in other words so if, if people aren't looking at baseball and basketball as much they're now kids are watching they're being replaced by them watching Formula One and world soccer or world football as I would call it but soccer as we call it here. I mean, is that is that what you're saying? So, like, the um, loss in popularity of one is offset by the other. Yeah, it's just a shift in where the influence is, right? Yeah, you know, that back in in our you know high school and and you know college days thirty years ago, um, you know, television was a driver, right? And you mm-hmm. know, newspapers and magazines were still relevant. And nowadays, you know, outside of like a a few key newspapers, uh, newspapers are irrelevant. And, you know, TV is, you know, not as influential, as influential as it used to be. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example example as well, though, because if you, if you go back, if you go back and and you can take the 30 year mark, that's fine. You go Mm -hmm. back 30 years for anybody in the United States who was, uh, a fan of European football or soccer, as you patronizingly like to call it. Um, <laughs> if you wanted to watch a game, you had to find a bar with a satellite dish. Yeah. Because that was the only way you were going to be able to watch that content. And none of that was measured by Nielsen in any way, shape, or form. Now, today, every single one of the major professional leagues out of Europe, and ironically, the the second-tier leagues out of Europe are available on streaming services. All the leagues out of South America are available on streaming services. So your your access to content is broadened dramatically, thereby you only have so many people with so many hours in the day, something is going to lose while something else is going to gain. So I can mm-hmm. see why ratings for certain professional sports in the United States might be declining because those were your only options as a sports viewer 30 years ago. Now your breadth of sport sports available and the, uh, and the platforms to consume them on has expanded. All right, let's, let me split this out. I'm going to push back both of you. The numbers don't bear out what you're saying. So if you let's push this, let's push Instagram aside and let's look at that in a second. The numbers of viewers, even for these English Premier League, uh, for La Liga, you know, those numbers don't offset the decline that you had from the traditional sports of baseball and basketball. Let's say football is its own beast, what, right? What what so, measurable are you using though? We're using the we're using the Nielsen measurable, right? So we're using the Nielsen measurable. I have a problem with Nielsen, but, though. But, but, 
But wait, but wait, the Nielsen also does count streams and we also get downloads. So in other words, like Richard, think about it this way. You had, let's say, in the 80s and 90s for those sports, you might have 24 to 30 million viewers, right? You might have 9 million viewers now. For your argument to be to, to make sense, you would have to have had an offset of, you'd have to have with these other leagues, an overall growth of about, I mean, just to use simple numbers on it, 18, 15 to 20 million viewers. You don't have that. Even including streaming and download. Now, putting let's put Instagram aside because that's different. That's about who you like and who's influencing. But I'm talking about what you watch and follow. Right. So those numbers, I mean, there may be a, a buzz and an interest in these sports. And I think that, I mean, I started watching English Premier League during the lockdown. So uh, during the pandemic. So I you know, certainly got into that in Formula One. So I get it. But it's, it's not at the <clears throat> same magnitude. It's no. still not. All right. So here, here's my pushback on you, right? The fact that, you know, um, they might not uh, stream every game or every, you know, match or every race, right? The, the fact that Lewis Hamilton has like nearly 22 million followers and, you know, his teammate has another 18 million followers. And, you know, that means that they are, those are the people that they quote unquote influence. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you have the stars of different sports, like, you know, football or football um, and having that many followers, that's where your influence is coming from. That that's where the sport still has relevance in society, because what they say, what they do, what they tweet about, what they Instagram about is you know important to the people that follow them, or they wouldn't well, be following. Well, okay, but let's look at again two parts of that. All right, so you're saying okay, there are twenty. Let's say Lewis Hamilton has twenty million followers, but that's not twenty million. It, that's those followers were there. He already had a large following already around the world. So if we're talking about America, the argument would have to be that there was this massive influx of followers of, of him from the U.S. on Instagram, and now that shows you Americans are following that. I would argue he's already big. All these world world football, as I'll, you know, as as Howard likes to hear, all these world football or soccer players already were massive, right? I'm saying that American that the that the followers in the U.S. So first, there's that that it, it doesn't sh but, to me it doesn't show that they've grown that in the U.S. But second, no, let me just finish this. The in terms of again, there is there's influence, and then there is people following or, or following the sport. Now, maybe what you're saying, let me interpret it as people now don't really want to watch a game, but they'll still like a player. I mean, is that kind of the argument? Well, no, that's that's not the argument that I'm making. I'm saying that you're talking about you know the relevance of sports in in today's society, and mm -hmm. and I'm saying that you can't measure the relevance by viewership. You have to measure okay. the relevance by you know influence. Agreed. Okay. Right? Agreed. Okay. And so yes. so that, you know, and the you other guys, thing is, the, okay, the other sure. thing is, uh, okay, Sean, uh, forty uh, Formula One. Um, has seen a 77% growth in in uh, viewership and follow followers 
in the 16 to 35 age group. Mm-hmm. In right. the U.S. or generally, U.S. And or that, that, that's over, yeah, from from 2018, uh, uh, 2019 to 2020. But what are we measuring, right. U.S. or global? Global. Okay. But, because again, we're we're, we're talking so U.S. But guess okay, where I'm, that, I'm, I'm, the, I'm guess where the majority of that growth is? Why do you think? Okay. Yeah, Formula One opened two additional races in the United States. Yeah. No. I, I listen. I I follow Formula One. Particularly, like I said, once we had the pandemic, I really got into it. So I get it. This is not to poo-poo any of these sports. But then let's talk about a couple of different things. And Eric, I want you to jump in with this as well, because I, you, I would I'm guess here. would be a kind of a traditionalist on this stuff. But what what I'm gonna what I'm saying to this is okay. You so relevancy. Uh, to if I'm going to follow along with you, relevancy now you're saying is less about watching the game itself than being into the big stars of the game, right? Because for us, it was about both. You were into the big stars based on you watching them. You watched Reggie Jackson or Michael Jordan or, uh, you know, Brett Favre to go through all the, the, the heroes, Don right? You, you, <clears throat> Don <Yeah>. Mattingly, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, let me, let me throw in another New York sports hero, Doc Gooden, mm. whatever, mm. right? So you, so you, uh, you followed the game and became interested in the star. But it sounds like what you're saying to me, because again, I want to try to look at where this works. You're saying to me, okay, don't worry about these, whether people are watching the game anymore, but they like the uh, the, 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 the images, the, the identities, the heroes, the players, the personalities. That's the mm-hmm. word I'm looking for. They like the personality. So it's about personalities now. Influence is about player personalities and not player actions player in the game what the player does is that well how yeah. it, no it's it, not, it's just not one or the other it's not it one or the other though, then, then, ex- then explain why people wouldn't be watching the games as much well you're again you, you but you can't specify a couple of sports and then broadly associate that across the entire sector well wait but, it's, but it, that's what i'm saying it, you can't yeah. it, it to, to say well sports isn't relevant because viewership is down for basketball is not a valid statement because but, that's my that's which, the point is the point is okay. that is that there are other sports and there are other ways to consume and identify with those sports and keep in mind that those personalities and and the league's teams that they play with share content through all of these channels that people consume those that content i'm not talking about streaming a game a match a race it mm-hmm. could be a highlight it could be a behind the scenes so sure. the content and the relevancy of the of the space is still there in fact i'd say in in large part it's permeated a much wider area because like anything else we have all these tools and platforms to consume it so that's why i say i i disagree with the statement that sports doesn't hold the relevancy you might say an individual sport might not have the relevancy and that you'd have to unpack the numbers behind it. But broadly speaking, I, 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 so I said, I, I don't know that I agree with that. Uh, I will chime in. Okay. And I'm going to, and I will follow up. Please, okay. please do. Uh, Sean, if you want to go first, feel free. 
No, no, you go ahead. You I, I want to make a, a few points here. And a lot of this, I think, is largely circumstantial. And putting that aside for 10 seconds, let's bear in mind, like say, we live in Los Angeles, or I live in Los Angeles, and we have two 24-hour sports stations. And I think most major cities have the same. You did not have that, you know, years back. I remember, you know, following Jim Rome in the 90s. And, you know, it's like prior to that, you know, you you had to search to find sports talk radio. So so that's to be considered. It's like I think that we're probably, if we're being honest, a little less interested in the individual games. Like when I was a kid, I would watch the, you know, the Phillies against the Reds on a Saturday afternoon. Well, that's just, you know, not really like our current model anymore. But okay, there are some circumstances that have happened in the last few years. One is COVID. Two is the Black Lives Matter movement, which which I think had a hand in dropping the NBA's ratings down because they were they took a very strong stance on it and that turned a lot of people off. You know, the NFL ratings dipped a fair amount during the Kaepernick um, era when he was, you know, protesting, you know, treatment of, you know, the police to, toward black people. And I think those, you know, play, play some roles. But what plays a really big role is that when, like, the 90s was the NBA's boon in ratings. And that wasn't because of the whole league. That was because of one team. And so when there's not one great team, that tends to have an impact on ratings. You think about who won the Super Bowl this year. It was the Los Angeles Rams, a team that wouldn't even have a majority of its own fans in the stadium. And the NBA powers, now that the Golden State Warriors are not the same power, you have the Milwaukee Bucks, which is a small market people don't care about. People are still mm-hmm. Laker fans. But again, you had you had COVID that cut into their championship and after a four-month delay of the season. So I think these all play a lot of roles. But when you consider the impact of sports talk radio and and the other wide variant like you mentioned like instagram and twitter and those things it's like i would say sports is probably more impactful now than it has ever been and of course i just left a, a sports card show that had a really a tons of kids there and nobody selling 1961 high numbers and 1972 high numbers like old guys like me look at all young stuff and basketball cards and baseball cards the current day are through the roof in in both popularity and in value so that would indicate relevancy i I just want to support i want to support one quick thing that eric just brought up which is Mm -hmm. that and and this is a world that i operate in quite extensively that if sports wasn't relevant then when sports entities take social and political stances then they would have no influence and no impact on viewership, right? But by the fact that Eric just made the point that that things happened in those sports at, at, that, that were concurrent with social events, and that did affect things because that tells you the relevancy of sport mm. in culture has that kind of influence that people still pay a lot of attention to sport. And when they see it talking about things that they support or don't support, it, it has an impact. I think they, I could, they take uh, even a sure. greater interest in in what is happens outside the lines, you know. And I I think that's where I'm, like, you make a really good point on that, Howard. That like, yeah, it's like that shows its relevance. Okay, well then let's go with that. So my I would still say this. But my argument is going to be this: that even with uh, the argument saying that if it weren't relevant when they made a stance on an outside issue, it wouldn't have an impact. I would say that if people turn away from it, and I'm not agreeing that, uh, I certainly wouldn't argue that athletes should not make a 
political stance. I mean, I think one of the things that made Ali the, the athlete of the century is the fact that he did make that kind of a political stance, that he stood for something, right? So he was the athlete of the 20th century, in my opinion, right? Um, the question I would have then, as I think the argument about Instagram and the other uh, means of consuming media, I think that's a really good argument. I think that's a really relevant argument. Um, and if it is still the case that you have young people involved and going through the roof, although the statistics that I see in youth participation in sports is trending down, okay? And this is from the trade associations about youth participation in sports. They're trending down, right? So I would. it still makes me wonder if you don't have as much participation, uh, what is that saying about the impact that sports have? I'm not, again, I'm not trying to argue that sports are irrelevant. I want them to be relevant. I want to hear a, an argument of why and how they still are. And I will say that what you're saying about other ways of consuming are very good points. I think that's, I think they make really good points about Sean, different ways to take this in. I think you do have a case when you bring up esports. And I honestly, I'm obviously a little more older school. I don't consider that a real sport, but it certainly is an entertainment and it's an, an activity that our, you know, young audiences take part in. Um, right. And that, I imagine, draws away from the real thing. But, you know, then you consider MLB The Show and Madden and those games, um, you know, they're, again, I think it's just, it just shifts their interest a little bit. But I'd say, yeah, esports plays an impact in, you know, younger generations, you know, interest in sports. Richard, what do you think? What about that uh, you notice for your because Eric, you have a, a teenage son, and Richard, you have two teen, a teenage son and teenage daughter. Right. So, well, all I can say is um, USC is considering building, uh, you know, uh, a I, I can't remember the exact numbers somewhere north of a million dollar. Um, uh, I wouldn't say it. It's not an arena, maybe a theater arena or whatever for esports. Right. Mm -hmm. So because it's, it's such a, a, a booming, you know, draw for uh, students. Will there be yeah, an NCAA esports league? Yeah. Uh, that's just, that's, yes, that's there what I was wondering. Yeah. Yeah, there absolutely there will. Be. will. Yeah. There, well, well, yeah. guys, but for for both Howard and Richard, then on that, listen, let's start to let's start to move over to the idea of the the discussion being what what you guys are putting for is that okay, you know. Basketball and baseball may be on the wane. They're being replaced by these other sports in American cultural life. Is that would you agree? That's what you're what you're putting forth. Uh, um, no. Yes. Because I mean, it, other, based on what you just said, it's, 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 based on what you just said, that would have to that would seem to be the logical. Yeah, it's a thing it's that a very, It's a very real possibility. Yeah, you know, I'm so not saying that it's a done deal. You know, yeah, if, it, if, if yeah, Major yeah. League Baseball got off its ass and actually, you know, looked at what the hell is going on around them, they could change the way they present their sport and, and grow it again. Well, we'll talk about that. I want to talk about what the NBA and baseball can do to, to be to uh, improve its popularity or its interest. But let's just stick with this for a second. So esports. Howard, you're saying the NCAA will have an esports. Say, say more. What, what, how would they bring that about? I mean, are there, for example, the way these things kind of came about in the past, historically, is you had, you know, local town sports and then the kids played it in schools. So you have your high school sports, it becomes college relevant. So where is that chain, that pipeline for esports? Or let's take it further. 
is do we see greater participation and interest in college soccer and high school soccer? I mean, is that no? I, I, so, I think it's simply that the the uh, the organization is heading towards where the audience of college age you know kids are. Like they they, they that's a generation that has grown up playing esports and and they know it's it's there's the club level of it is extensive. So the NCAA is looking at that saying, well, you know, if we, if we move it from a club sport into an organized sport and we layer in all the pieces that we, that we've done in the past of, of broadcasting and sponsorship and the schools start layering in scholarships, we can build it into another revenue generating entity. Cause that's what the, that's what the NCAA is there to do. Yeah, they're looking yeah, at it and, as a business opportunity, but they're also looking at it because they recognize that that is a part of the culture of the current base and future base of of that that age group. Um, right. I do want to I do want to add one thing because I, I learned this several years ago. And, I, you know, again, this might need, a, you know, someone your fact checkers may need to dive into this one to make sure. But I will I will get them on it right away. But I was uh <laughs> Because I, I was curious about the aspects of esports, where where that actually came from, because this is gaming, and that's and that's what it is, and that's wonderful, and I think it's great, and it's got a whole culture and community surrounding it. But I think it was Eric who said this isn't sports; it's gaming, right? It's 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 its own entity. It's not really, if you want, however you want to define it, it's not really part of the world of sport. So how did it? How did it? work its way into this this space and part of it is certainly that there is a revenue huge revenue opportunity in the space and therefore it's going to draw in a lot of the folks who work in the sports business sector because it's always looking for revenue generating opportunities but i was told that a lot of this came from the fact that uh there were tournament players who were looking to travel and they had very limited ability to travel, especially players from Korea, where is an enormously popular sport, and in other parts of Asia looking to travel to come to play in the United States and vice versa. Players from the United States wanting to travel over to Asia to play in tournaments. Very difficult for them to be able to get visas to travel. And someone, don't know who, Someone recognized if we mark them down as athletes, it will change their ability to apply for and get a visa because they are traveling to compete in a tournament. And therefore, it was changed, and I don't know who, it was changed to eSports and make them eSports athletes so their ability to get visas could change and allow them to travel more, more freely. That's an amazing story. I, it's I will have to, yeah, we'll I would, I would love to that. find out yeah, if, if that is true. But that was that, and it was laid out to me by someone who had no skin in the game. Was certainly like, no, this is that to his knowledge, and he's Korean, Korean American. And when he explained mm-hmm. that to me, I was like, well, that makes perfect sense. I could totally see all of that coming coming to fruition. Yeah. You know, I, I I think that would be a great thing to follow up on. I don't know how that came about. Uh, Richard, were you about to jump in? Yeah, I was going to uh, go back to an earlier. Um, comment that was made um but you know universities um are uh, coming on board with the esports um arenas and and whatnot N- not necessarily you know, 
solely for the revenue generating possibilities through NCAA, but it also um, accentuates their STEM programs, right? So they attract students into, you know, their computer science programs, into their, uh, uh, you know, virtual design programs, all these things that they say, hey, look, you know, we have this team that supports, you know, esports. These are the things that you can learn and take into, you know, into your business venture and, you know, look how successful our teams are, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, it's a, it, it's a, a way to attract students as well as attract investment from, you know, sponsors. Well, investment is always something that the colleges and NCAA finds its way towards. Let me ask you, Richard, how extensive are club esports in college? I mean, you, you've got, you're an SC person, USC for the listener, University mm-hmm. of Southern California. Um, what do you know of, uh, to the extent that you do know about it, how extensive is club esports? Uh, pretty extensive. Uh... Exte- explain, explain it to me. Let me... How does it work? I mean, there are a bunch of club teams. I mean, because, you know, when we all went to college, we had club teams. We had our regular sports teams. Regular sports. We had our, our official sports teams, NCAA sports teams. And then we had the club sports that you could play. Um, sort of, I played, you know, rugby was like kind of a quasi-club quasi sport. We did go and play other schools. But, um, right. so how, do, so how does it work with these So at, at USC, there's the NCAA-recognized sports. There's uh, club sport, and then there's uh, intramural sport. So at USC, there are intramural uh, teams, e-sport teams, and there are also club sport teams. And there's two club sport teams. So one's, I think they're split between the two types of uh, e-sports that they actually play. I think one is more uh, video games and the other is drones or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, like and, drone racing? I've seen drone yeah, racing yeah, like yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, and then, you know, the intramurals are, you know, it used to be back in my day, you know, Frisbee football, um, soccer, basketball, um, and um, seven on seven uh, passing league were the big in the real sports. Now the you know esport uh, in real league is bigger than all of those combined. Mm. So. And so they're playing. So the the USC or UCLA club esports teams will play other schools esports right. teams. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right, yeah. just not yeah. sanctioned. Okay. Uh, you know, I think one thing that's going to be interesting with this, and as you guys know, I love VR, but as VR becomes, uh, you know, because you were saying it's not really a sport, but it's interesting, Howard, as VR becomes a bigger part of gaming, it will take on an aspect of sports play because it will be more physical, interestingly enough. I, I, I will be very interested to see where that goes once that kind of Oculus, right now it's Oculus, that's the big dog, but... Um, that kind of VR-based gaming would be interesting to see how that takes off. Yeah. Well, um, all right. My, my son wants me to, um, yeah, see about getting him um, a membership to a VR um, hit training program. 
that is out of, uh, I want to say, University of Virginia or Virginia Tech. You mean a hitting, uh, a baseball, VR? Uh-huh. All right, we have to talk about that uh, after the uh, Are you offline. Are a regulation size bat? Yep. Oh, Eric, you don't even swing a bat. It's a magical – no, I'm yeah. – <laughs> uh, <laughs> you got to be swinging something has- that's about 30 ounces or anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I – see, this is where I think – this is, for me, that, that, that kind of stuff is where I, I find – the possibility of that really exciting and what you can do for players and mm-hmm. also what it, what it becomes as a game. There's some of that now, I gather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit developing and like, I guess like Richard's saying, they're starting to do that, but I definitely want to talk to you, Richard, about that. So let's not, let's put a pin in that and talk about that. All right. Well, let's, I want to, I want to, I want to layer in one last thing though, because I think mm-hmm. it's important to recognize because even within the world of esports, um, there is, I won't necessarily call it a sep- a separation, but you have you have the gaming that is designed around whether it's fantasy, role playing, you know, all of the you know all of the adventure type games, and then you have sports specific games, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's right Madden for football and 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 you know FIFA, soccer, and all that. But if if you look at the way the the sports esports the sports gaming is set up they're all aligned with what they're all aligned with the professional leagues and the professional leagues use all of those platforms to promote their brands their athletes their teams their sponsors and to bring people into that place you have a lot of young people who weren't football fans but played madden and now watch the nfl so it's become a vehicle for professional, real, you know, real life in-person sports to leverage to be able to draw a fan base in. And you can make the same for, for F1 or any of the other emerging sports that use a gaming platform to draw fans in. Mm-hmm. So a good point. I saw in uh, the, the Netflix series, The Drive to Survive, the F1 drivers, because they're all so young, and they're, the one thing that strikes me about them is they're so skinny, because obviously you want to keep the weight down in that car, but they look so young. But they're all, a lot of them are playing these esports, you know, these um, video game, F1 video games. And I just thought it was interesting the way yeah. they kind of inter- NASCAR during, during the pandemic, that was one of the things that NASCAR broadcast was having drivers in simulators. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Let's talk about going back to the world of physical uh, sports participation. Let's talk about the Olympics. So I had said to you, <laughs> Richard's laughing. I said to you, Howard. Well, that's what I want to. Let's talk about the, like, again, I'm talking about relevancy. Let's talk about the relevancy of the Olympics because I watched last night, um, I think it was called Of Miracles and Men, and it was about the 1980 Soviet hockey team. It was, it was talked about. The Miracle on Ice with the U.S. beat the Soviets, we all know that story, we all remember it, but it was looking at it from the Soviet hockey standpoint. I thought it was really interesting, and just the, the importance that that team meant to the Soviet Union, but how important any kind of contest or between Soviet Union and the U.S., uh, but even earlier than that in the 70s, and I'm sure Howard, big, big hockey, most knowledgeable hockey guy I know, the, the big cup, the, the, the series that the Soviets played against the Canadian All-Stars mm-hmm. and just how brutal and vicious that, that series was. So the Olympics meant, you know, when you think about Mexico City 68, 
the the Black Power uh, symbol. You can about Munich '72, the hostages. You can think about again Miracle on Ice in '80. Uh, it just it these are things that that had an incredible relevance. Then is, are the Olympics, and we know again talking about ratings, that fewer and fewer people are consuming the Olympics, both winter and summer, on all all levels platform because they looked at not just viewership on uh, broadcast, but also streaming, also other platforms, a lot lower level, really far down for both summer and winter. Are the Olympics as relevant? Does does the change in the political, to me, the change in political climate, the fact that we were once had an East versus West, it was our way, it was our bloodless Cold War. So first question, are the Olympics as relevant? And then sub question of that is, is it due to the fact that we have a completely different political climate? Quick, quickly want to ask you to clarify when you speak about the Olympics relevancy, are you speaking about it in the United States? Or are you speaking about it globally? Because it's a global event. That's a good point. I will, uh, let's, I will say globally. Uh, well, we can, obviously we're Americans. We our our focus is going to, our, our sense of it's going to be here. You know, but let's talk about it globally. That's why don't you address it up? What do you say globally? Is it still relevant? Does it still have that same kind of intensity? It it, it it's a nuanced, mixed answer um, because okay. I would say that there, the aspect that the Olympics is not as relevant anymore. Speaking globally, not as relevant anymore is 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 clearly evident in the fact that less cities are bidding for Olympic games. And that has become a problem for the IOC. That, be, that was mm-hmm. a problem for, for 2024, 2028. That's one of the reasons we have the games here in 2028. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also why they're, they're, they've been looking at, especially even for Winter Olympics, much smaller markets because less cities are interested the costs are too high. The benefits are are are, mm-hmm. are not extensive enough for cities to want to take on the burden of bringing in a game. So the relevancy in that sense ha- has certainly waned. The flip side is that for, um, and I won't call I, I'll use the term emerging sports, but that, that's not really the right term because these sports have been around for quite a while. But when you see sports like surfing, skateboarding, and rock climbing make it into the Olympics, there's a reason why. It wasn't that the IOC went to them and said, hey, we'd love to add you. And they said, well, that sounds like fun. Those sports lobbied hard to be included in the Olympics because it's important for them to continue to grow the sport. And again, if the Olympics weren't relevant, those three sports wouldn't care about being in the Olympics. But it was a very, very big deal to have surfing, skateboarding, and rock climbing in the Tokyo Olympics. Granted, a very different, because of the pandemic, how the Olympics were consumed, participated, etc. But those three sports, it was vitally important for them on the, on, the, on the growth tracks that they're on to be in the Olympics, having that global platform, having that exposure. I believe Japan swept the podium uh in skateboarding i may be wrong but i know they meddled extensively both men's and women's in skateboarding and that's huge for the growth of skateboarding in japan so that's what i say that the the point of it not being relevant 
it's nuanced. I think there are aspects where it is still very relevant and aspects where it's losing it. Yeah. Okay. So I guess I think that, and, let me, sorry, go ahead. And, and to echo that point, here's another thing to look at is, um, you know, when, when the IOC said professional athletes are okay to play in the Olympics, you know, you, the United States put together the dream team, basketball team, you know, the, um, the, the U S sent, uh, their professional players to, to play baseball in the summer in the recent Olympics is like your big name players uh, are on the fence of whether or not they're, they want to participate in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So, well, I think I've seen that there are two things on that. Okay. So that latter part of why, of whether they want to participate that to me and, and, Perhaps all of this stuff I'm looking at on like a larger world historical, like global trend. I mean, the Olympics really was a proxy fight. It was a proxy fight for an ideal for ideologies for, let's say, from 1946 or 1948, I should say, through 1992. Okay, it was about East versus West, and even prior to that, of course, it was about fascism versus the free states. When you talk about Berlin. So there is a huge, huge impact on how the how these countries looked at themselves by based on how they did in the Olympics. But now, Howard, as you start talking about, you know, these sports wanting to be in there for the relevancy. To me, that's a different kind of relevancy, right? It's a, it gives you it's a branding. So like you're an Olympic sport, you're you're a real sport now, right? Because just like we talk about esports now, 25 years ago is the way we talked about X Games sports, skateboarding, and stuff like that. People were questioning, is that really a sport kind of thing? So I don't think anyone's questioning that now. But getting the Olympic branding definitely gives you the cachet that you are a real sport. So maybe it just as the world has shifted from a world of ideological conflict to a world of, of economic interaction, they have there's a different relevancy about the games. But to me, with when you are dealing with economic relevancy and not an ideology, something lofty, which is what the Olympics were for the ancient Greeks, as well as they had been for us, it changes it. So to me, the impact is less because there is that ideal, that supposed ideal that we were all looking at, as opposed to its commercial benefit. I, Eric, I'm not going to watch the Olympics until they have esports. I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> okay. There we go. Uh, we're not as jingoistic as a society. I don't think, at least in the United States, I'm, I'm going on a little bit of a limb saying that because I don't really know. But I think the reason we watch the Olympics isn't even just because East versus West. I think it's because we want to root for our country. And I think yeah. that's a little bit less so now. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. What do you guys think, Howard, Richard? What do you think? I, 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 I don't I mean I don't. That's not to say people aren't patriotic, but and and that many of us aren't as patriotic as we've always been. But there is, I think, more questioning of the idea of patriotism. Perhaps I, I agree with that. Maybe. I, I agree. I think I think Tarek's point. I I, I think um, I I don't think we have as much of an us versus them attitude because the world is now so much better connected. And I think there's a much broader understanding, especially in the younger generation, to be able to to see what happens in other parts of the world that 
it starts to break down the the us versus them, east versus west. Obviously, with what's happening in the world currently, that the dynamic has shifted again, and it, it is kind of fascinating to see like what would the climate be for and will be for global sporting events this year with what's happening, the conflict that's happening in you know Russia and Ukraine. How is that going to play out? It's already been, you know, what 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 is and will be throughout the world. This is a World Cup year, so there's a lot that we'll see in terms of the the polarization of of how a global sporting event, you know, how people see themselves in their country. Um, but I don't think we have that as much on an ongoing basis. So that that uh, that opportunity for the Olympics to represent that national pride and opportunity, um, at least again, domestically, you'd have to spend enough time in country and other parts of the world to really know it, it is it, it may carry a lot more weight in smaller countries who are now able to compete at, at a higher level with larger countries and have a smaller budget and for their athletes and realize, wow, look at us, we can win medals in these, in these sports. And that to them, is very important internally within the country, but for us here in the United States, I don't, I don't, I don't think we carry that anymore. I think it may be to your point, Howard. The fact that we are more connected, especially through media, like in, in watching that documentary on the Soviet team, it made me think about how we viewed Soviet sports, Eastern Bloc sports. You know, growing up, sure. there was a mystique. I mean, the Soviet hockey team was like in the in the popular mindset, and I know you'll know this had the their image of cyborgs they right. almost seemed like these these like killer robots that would yep. go on the ice and destroy everyone but then you i watched the documentary and you just see these are guys these are kids these are kids and you have a very different you you really i mean i i, I liked a lot of the players that i saw in the documentary and so i think that is something very different when you get to see players on these other in teams in other countries you see them as human beings Right, as opposed to a monolith or representation of a country. Agreed. And I think that makes it a little bit different. You don't have that same intensity. I think even even this year, even with all that's going on, there's even still pushback from people from saying, "Hey, there's a Russian chess player. He shouldn't be allowed to participate." There's a lot of people say, "Wait a minute, that's not. He's not Vladimir Putin. He's an, an individual, and he should be able to, you know. And we should not demonize him for the actions of." someone in his government. So I think that occurs because we do have a more humane connection because we can connect with them in a way there was no way you were you were getting information from the Soviet Union, you know, in its heyday. You just it was just yeah. this mistake. Well and, and that's kind of the, the, the there's been no a hundred percent proof to this, but there was certainly the rumor that because Putin was in Beijing during the Winter Olympics and there was a lot of talk of people saying that, yeah, he he uh, when he met with Xi Jinping, they said, don't invade Ukraine until after the Winter Olympics are over, because we don't want to we don't want to have to be dealing with that. Yeah, so, like again, that. it's I've like th- think of I mean, if if this if, if that invasion happened during a, an, a especially a summer Olympic year, because that's a much bigger event than a Winter Olympic. But if that if you know the fact that it's a World Cup year is fascinating and it's interesting that the world cup is going to be in november so it gives a whole bunch of you know there's a lot more time for this conflict to play itself out and how it'll be resolved will it be resolved by then we you know we, we don't know but in in a in a typical year 
we'd be gearing up for a World Cup in a couple months. It'd be it'd be June. So right. uh, it would be a very different, you know, it'd be a very different scenario in how all of that is being portrayed. And there's been requests, even from the Ukrainian team has been asking about how would they, are they being granted some special privileges? Can they train? Can What can they do? Because some of their players are fighting in a war right now. <laughs> like it's a very unique situation, but this is the platform of global sport and in, in dealing with, and again, the Olympics, I, the IOC is probably thrilled that this didn't happen um, during a summer Olympic year. It'd be, it'd be an absolute mess for them to have to figure out how to navigate. Any other thoughts, guys? Um, bear in mind, like, I, I'm, again, this is, of course, coming from an American, but when, like, in 2028, when the Olympics are in Los Angeles, you know, it just helps from a rating standpoint, from a viewership standpoint, because it's in a better time zone. And I think that, you know, a little bit is lost, you know, picking up, watching two hours of all, you know, tape-delayed, you know, sports, which we tend to appreciate and watch live, um, that that plays a role in this probably a little bit too. That's a good point. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about the beast of American sports, the NFL. Uh, consistently high ratings, yet it's consistently it's it, it seems like. It can't get out of its own way, but it doesn't matter because people still watch. But I want to talk specifically about the race issue in the NFL and, and in specific about the issue that came up with Brian Flores. And for the listeners and for those who don't know, Brian Flores was the coach of the Miami Dolphins. Uh, he lost his job, even though he did. And it really, I think everyone agrees, a, a magnificent job with that team. And then he was uh, being interviewed for other jobs, including with one of my two hometown teams, the New York football giants. And it turns out that he wasn't really, uh, how shall we put this? He wasn't, it wasn't a, a genuine opportunity that he was offered. According to the NFL, there's something called the Rooney rule. You have to interview minority candidates uh, for coaching jobs. You have to give them a legitimate shot to be a coach. So there'll be more diversity in the game. And it turns out he had found out through text messages that were inadvertently sent to him that the job had already been given to someone else and he was just being put through there for show. So it be, and it's become a big issue. The, the NFL is about 71% uh, African-American. And yet it has, at least before the, the hiring situation started, it had about uh, three coaches of color. Uh, out of its 32 teams. I think that number has increased. I think it might be at five now. But uh, it's it said a lot that there wasn't a lot of opportunity for people to be in leadership and management positions, just in positions of being the players. So, guys, do you think that the NFL, that this is a, a going to be a legitimate problem for, for its uh, viewers? And do you think that it is a, le a legitimately an, a race issue or are there other things about this issue that are playing in? Richard, sounds like you want to jump in. Uh, it's just a microcosm. You know, the, the NFL's problem is, is the United States' problem. You know, mm -hmm. it, is, it is skewed heavily towards, you know, corporate America and wealthy America, which is heavily skewed towards, you know, white America. It, it is it is what it is and and yes it's a problem is it going to dramatically affect 
viewership? Mm, no. Well, I mean, it's interesting because you have a, a complete demographic sea change that's happening right now. So the, uh, America is we're coming very close to a 50-50 country in terms of its uh, composition of white and non-white. Uh, and in particular states and particular demographics, particularly young, if you're under a certain age, then you already have seen the flip. It's already gone beyond where, you know, mm -hmm. uh, minority majority. So that's interesting. Follow the money. Standpoint. Well, yeah, that's so, but the question is the, those who have the money are, are making the decisions. So what did, what did you think about that, Richard? I mean, I know you, you follow the football giants as I do. So what did you think about how that played out? Well, you know, I, I wasn't surprised, which is sad. Um, I, I wasn't surprised at all by the fact that, yeah, the decision had been made. They're just crossing T's and dotting I's to fulfill their obligation towards the NFL rule book. Um, you know, it, 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 was, it has been blatantly obvious for, for me for a long time that, you know, they like to hire the people that they know, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why so many coaches get rehired at different places. I'm like, you got fired from someplace for a reason. <laughs> so why are you getting another opportunity someplace else? It's just, you know, it, I, business I think, as I think usual. The thing, yeah. I think the thing that happens, I think that would particularly – what particularly was salient to me was the fact that, it, and this, like you say, mirrors American life, just mirrors, mirrors our culture, is that the ability to fail, right? So you have coaches who have failed multiple times who still get opportunities. It's not the same thing for African-American coaches. It's it's more difficult for an African-American coach who's failed to get another shot. And, I, and we know this based on looking at the hiring patterns of African-American coaches once they've had a shot maybe haven't done well, how often have they had another chance to be rehired? So that's not just throwing something out there. We can actually track that. But what was interesting about Brian Flores was he was manifestly a really good coach. Um, but once he got fired, then suddenly there were all the things dropped in the press about how he was difficult, which again is code, dog whistle, right? He was a difficult African-American man. So it was. it really seemed very... Uh, it, there, were, there was there was a such a such a level to it in the NFL that felt very smarmy. And coming off the John Gruden incident and the stuff that we had that had come out through the Washington Commanders, strange, ridiculous name, uh, football team, that it just said that there was a lot going on underneath the NFL, which people really didn't want to deal with. I think a lot of the, the athletes themselves try to avoid it because that's where the money is. You don't want to upset the apple cart. You don't want to seem like you're a radical. Look what happened to Kaepernick, a guy who was celebrated as a great quarterback. Yes, he had a couple of bad seasons, but the fact that he got no opportunities after that was an indication that that was a trouble. Now, Eric, it was interesting you brought up that you felt that maybe the Kaepernick incident did cause a loss of viewership. Do you want to... Talk yeah, to I mean, let's. It, it did. I mean, like ratings were down in the NFL. Look at ratings are the NFL is a machine, and it's further boosted 
by, you know, the legalization of gambling continuing and permeating our society and also fantasy sports. I mean, like the, the NFL, is this is a hiccup, you know, the Kaepernick issue, but it did put a dip in ratings because, you know, people are, are going to have their, their strong opinions about this, um, especially in, you know, to be frank, all white regions of America. Um uh, beyond that, I, mean, is, though, I think that this is the first time. This is, I guarantee, it's not the first time. It's like you know. Oh well, of course not. Yeah. You know, ownership has has their guy, and then they have to. You know, it's almost set up to cause something like this. But yeah, if there's, who are the three coaches? There's Tomlin in Pittsburgh. Um, uh, Salah for the Jets, New York Jets, uh, who is uh, Lebanese. I think is he Lebanese, but he's a Muslim American. And then there is um, the Commanders coach. Um, who is a Latino? I can't. I can't think okay. of his name right now. So there's essentially but, uh, one yeah. black coach for a league that has seventy percent, you know, black players. And Tomlin's been a pretty good coach too. Um, yeah. And Eric Bieniemy. I, I don't know if if he's waiting for the right for the right situation or what, but this guy should be a coach right now. So yeah, there's there's obviously you know a certain element to it that is you know preventing you know a, a larger percentage of black coaches, black head coaches, but there could also be other you know things that play into it. You know, I, I think of Sean McVay, who who was you know first of all he's a legacy. His father was a coach, but also yeah. you know he lived the guy lived and died by you know videotape and, and watching video. So you know that seems to be a pipeline that should bring coaches you know in the future. So not necessarily just ex-players, but there are certainly, you know, the enemy should have been a coach, you know, last, you know, years ago. Yeah. There, there are a few coaches you can think of. I mean, I think it is, it's a question that's going to, you know, like you say, mirroring cultural shifts. You've got, just like now you've got a young America that is incredibly diverse and an old America that isn't. And I think that's what you're confronting because you're confronting old money and no, no, you feel no, no. change. Yeah. Take the old out of it. You're, you're confronting money, right? Sure. Who, who controls the dollars is going to control the hiring process. Sure. But I'm thinking that part of that, too, there's those you, when you, legacy, we know legacy wealth has that impact. And legacy wealth is still not very diverse in this country for very, for historical, sad reasons. But that is just the case. So. Um, it sounds like we're all of thought that it's not going to, it's going to be a hiccup for the NFL. What I, what I think is interesting though, is the NFL has a lot of little things that are starting to come a bubble to the surface. And, and the question will be whether it, whether any of them starts to impact it, because as we were talking about at the very beginning of the podcast is there are other, there are other games in town and mm-hmm. will, if the NFL stumbles, will, other leagues benefit at some point from it at some time. I mean, it seem, NFL seems like, you know, we're talking about Terminator, Cyborg, uh, Soviet hockey players. Eventually, yes. seems like that. It's a great Eventually, game, yes. too. I mean, take nothing away from it. It's a great game right. to watch Agreed. and to learn, you know, without question. So, But, yeah, eventually it will. I mean, you know, because you could have said the same – you you could make the same argument. And, again, circumstances are different and issues are different. But – decades ago baseball was a dominant sport and had the cultural zeitgeist and the identity and everything and now it does not so football is is sitting in that you know in in that in that seat right now but it's not going to stay there permanently and I, I and and i think they're they're very aware of that um so they're finding ways to to address it the best they can i i i will share 
couple of interesting things in regards to the NFL that, that have just come up recently. Um, one, one will reset back to what we just talked about 20 minutes ago. The NFL is lobbying to get flag football into the Olympics. Hmm. So mm-hmm. again, that you could you could ask the question of the relevancy of, of the Olympics. And again, if the NFL feels there's some value of putting their sport in the Olympics, there must be some relevancy to, to the Olympics. Um, but there, the, the the road to do that is is going to be for again, depending again on how things play out. You need international participation. There's a variety of quote unquote steps you are supposed to take to be able to get your sport mm. to qualify as an Olympic sport. However, it, we know this is this is the NFL and they have a lot of money and the IOC likes money. So if the NFL finds a way, maybe that sport will be. And, and we, they will, will accept the money whether it's legal or not. Right. Um, right. Uh, you so, know, it's worth pointing out and like there's a parallel with the NBA there. You know, NBA, you know, it got was the was the driving force to um, they're allowing professional athletes in the Olympics, not because we wanted to win again. It was because it allowed the NBA to get European players and then broaden the NBA market to worldwide. And it totally played out that way. And NBA has taken a worldwide market. You know, the NFL has a market outside of the United States, but it's not nearly as big. You know, the NBA is massive in China and so many other places. And the NFL's right. expanding their their international games. It's challenging for them in the way the season's structured and the distance, et cetera, and the broadcast. But they are they are working on expanding more international games, which all the leagues have done. Obviously, the NBA does it because they have a bigger audience internationally. The NHL has done it in previous years, and baseball has done it. So there there are are ways to do that. The other thing I want to add, though, about the NFL that I find really interesting is staying within the world of flag football they are they are making a very I, I wouldn't call it significant yet but they're starting to make moves in flag football for girls mm. and being driven by the NFL so it is coming with with the dollars and the branding that that the NFL will bring but they are trying to bring girls into the sport of flag football which again, be a great high school sport. It would be a fantastic high school sport, and again, it, it, they, I'm sure they're looking at it also as an investment of if we build if we build a, a player base at a younger age, they will become fans at yeah, a later consumers. age. Exactly. They will, they will exactly. They'll be consumers. They will watch the sport. They will they will bring their kids. It will be a part of of the family experience. If 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 mom played flag football through junior high and high school and possibly college. And again, if flag football gets into the Olympics, maybe there's women's flag football in the Olympics down the road as well. So the NFL is not, I, I don't think they're taking this lightly that that they are sitting at the top of the heap right now and expect that they're just going to stay there by doing what they continue to do. They realize that they're going to have to make some changes. They're going to have to address a lot of the issues that that have come up. The 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 interestingly the issue of uh, of player behavior uh, off the field was a significant issue a number of years ago, um, and it took it, it took the Ray Rice incident, which became you know public, vi- you know visible evidence of abuse 
for the NFL to say, we have to step up and do something about it. And they, and they have taken a lot of steps to address that. I, I can't weigh in on positive, negative, the impact, et cetera. But that, that was a watershed moment in the NFL recognizing we have an issue and we have to deal with it because it's now a PR issue and it could affect our, a, a lot of things. So we are going to now put a lot of steps in place and they have done so. So they are, I will give them credit that as a professional league, they tend to address things when they realize that they could be damaging. And we, to your point earlier, Sean, uh, uh, baseball, I don't, baseball didn't have the, the, a significant issue like that to address, but baseball has just been slowly losing, losing, losing over time and has never really stepped in to find ways to address things. And now they're sitting in a place where they have a large mountain to climb if they want to become high, more relevant uh, th- than they currently are and get back to a place where, where they had a lot of that influence. I want to I want to I want to actually use that because that's where as we're coming to the end that's exactly where I wanted to go which is what could we'll start with baseball and we'll go to basketball as well but what uh, and I think it's less of an issue for basketball internationally but baseball I think has the uh, the much bigger problem what could baseball do because I rightly put Howard the NFL is great I mean I I've spent a lot of the time since the pandemic looking at old uh, sports broadcasts and watching the evolution of football, just actually watching broadcast games from the 60s through now. And you can see, you can actually see the game evolve. And as you as you listen to broadcasts and as you listen to shows about it from that era, where they talk about how the NFL is addressing this issue in 1972, or this issue in 1969, 1970, or this issue in 1984. You know, they're specifically constantly assessing the game and trying to figure out how to make it better. So, uh, Howard, let me start with you, and then then uh, Richard and Erica. I know who are big baseball fans. What do you? What would you want to see the uh, the Major League Baseball do to make the game? either more exciting or what do you think they could do to make it more interesting? And I say more exciting because some of us find it exciting, but there've also been changes that have not been for the best. What, what should baseball do? What do you think? I, I, I don't know that I have solutions for baseball um, off the top of my head. I, what, what I think is interesting is that the, uh, a younger fan base, we talked about this earlier, their um, how they consume content, uh, and and the, the length of that content and the attention span is very different. And baseball is not built for that. Baseball is a right. longer form piece of sports entertainment. Oh, oh Howard, uh, I, I kind of disagree a little bit. Hang on, hang, hang on, hang on. <laughs> it, but but they are from to my knowledge, and again, I'm, I haven't done a ton of research on this. But baseball is looking into ways to speed up the game. A pitch clock is is something that I know has is, 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 has been put out there. Which again, you look at you look at basketball. You know, we we are old enough to remember, probably when we were very young, before there was a shot clock, right? So, that But but that's a that's what I'm saying. There there are there are things. Baseball, I think, has ha, always has and probably always will sit with a very traditionalist. Uh, approach to the sport. Uh, it, it, it is a very classic sport and very traditional in, in, in everything from the uniforms, the field of play, the rules. 
So whereas a lot of other sports, I think, have moved quicker to adopt rule changes and change the pace of the game, hockey is another one. They've had a lot of rule changes and equipment changes in hockey over the years. So I think baseball could do with some work to figure out what those are. I do not know what any of them are, but it seems to me that baseball has that opportunity to take a better look at itself. Richard? So um, going back, I'm not sure um, if you guys are familiar with this character out of New York. His name, uh, his corporate name is John Boy, John Boy Media. Oh, he, yeah. John Boy's awesome. He, yeah. He has grown a, a media empire <laughs> uh, relatively quickly just because of his Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube feeds. And it and and the majority of his content is baseball related. Yeah, you know, he's branching out a little bit, but you know, what kind of content is it? Richard? Oh, dude, you gotta watch him. Uh, well, it, just share for the listeners. So the listener. Um, he, um, you know, one of the things he does is is he reads the lips and makes comments about you know little funny clips that happen during the game. You know, uh, or controversial plays that happens, and, and he'll you know put verbiage be, behind the lips that are moving on the field. He'll you know he'll pull. So, so can be so comedic in that case, right? He said he's he's playing around. He's pretending to be lip reading and put some kind of funny spin it, on it. It's not even uh, you know pretending. Okay. Right? Uh, well, it, it, but, it, but it, it's humorous content. I'm just trying to get a sense of for, for yes. like, so that's okay. Yes. Right. Um, and, and the thing about it is what, you know, what I think baseball needs to look at is how are they going about reaching the age group, that consumer age group that, that, you know, seven year old to 35 year old. Right. So, you know, the fact that they're at, they have an adversarial um, relationship with most little leagues that you have to you know little league has to pay the MLB to use their jerseys and or their caps and they you know it, you can't see content you know they're, they're so restrictive on you know you know are you going to be able to watch this game or oh, you're in the market you're not in the market. It's like they have to restructure how they reach their their viewership, and you know they have to also um, rethink how they present themselves to the younger groups, um, so that they can so, continue. So for you, it's not it's not the game itself more; it's more how they present the game. Um, yes, yeah. For, there are some tweaks that they, they that need to happen in the game, without a doubt. But you know, j- just like uh, we were talking when, when we first started talking about, you know, influence and, and you know, the growth of the game and and the influence of the game doesn't necessarily mean that somebody has to watch a three hour game. Or a three and a half hour game, they can become fans of the game, and you know, consume the game how they want to consume it. If the MLB presents it 
in the way that they want. It's right? an interesting idea because as you were saying it, I was thinking one thing they could do, because I, I do have some issues with how the game is being played, but just on this subject, one thing they could do is, I mean, baseball is still a fun in-person event. Like even people who don't like baseball will often enjoy going to a game just because, you know, being outdoors, summertime, hot dog, all this stuff going on at the game. So you could have it looked at a couple different ways for the MLB. Maybe this is an idea that you can make the going to the ballpark an event. You know, for us, it's always going to be a sporting event, right? But for other people, it could just be an event. But then you have it consumed like you're talking about. You find different ways to give the highlights or the best hits or whatever it is on Instagram or whatever new platform develops every five seconds, whatever it is that's coming around, you could have different ways for people to consume that. So that, that I think that's a really interesting notion. You know, you have it as the in-person event is one thing and how you grow it to all the, you know, like you say the kiddies, the 12 to 18 or the five to 12 is probably the better real age range to go for. That could be another way. And then, yeah, they have to treat little leagues and youth leagues much better. Yeah, and and stop being so adversarial towards their you know that age group, and then also you know with their stars. Yeah, they they should you know try to embrace that partnership with their stars, and you know really help the stars market themselves because you know that's that's where you get your influence. All right. The personality. Eric, what do you think? Okay. Eric? Uh, I have been a fan since I was six years old. I saw my first game in 1972 in person. The Dodgers beat the Mets 11-1, to 1, as it should be. They got lucky, but okay. I don't, yeah, well, Kuzma got knocked out in the first inning, okay? That's all I'm saying. I don't right. remember that part. Um, and I will say all those things, and I'm a lifelong fan, and I'm looking forward to the Dodgers playing tonight. I think baseball has real problems, and I think there's minor tweaks uh, outside of cloning Shohei Otani and putting a bunch of Shohei Otanis in the league. You are going to have a real big problem. But I thought baseball was a dying sport five, ten years ago. Uh, it's slow. You can speed it up a little bit. If you watch a 60s game or a 70s game, the pitchers uh, get the ball and pitch the ball. Um, there's other elements that slow down the game now. I would instill um, – uh, robo umps. I think if you have the technology to call balls and strikes, I would do it. Um, I don't think any of that makes a huge difference only because baseball is a very slow and methodical game and there's more fun, more entertaining sports out there, whether it be esports or non esports. You know, when I got hooked on basketball in the 80s, I said, I'm telling you right now, the NBA is going to pass Major League Baseball. And in major league in, in pro baseball was the primary team sport in the United States from what 1890 till about uh, mid 70s, and then you know football passed by, basketball since passed it by, and I I don't think it's baseball's ever going away. You know I think that's it's not like there's MLB is going to collapse. That won't happen. But in terms of like it competing, I think it's just at a disadvantage because it is a naturally slower game. And um, I'm look at I would watch a 1975 game against the Phillies and Reds, like I said earlier. But I wouldn't do it now. You know, I do it when I was 10 years old. And you know, I watch the Dodgers, and that's good enough for me. Midwest is still very big. You know, baseball fans as a whole, the Eastern Seaboard is big because their teams are good. But generally, as America and you know, just the the viewing 
um, styles of our younger generation. I, I honestly think that baseball is going to continue to sink little by little, but it's never going away. I think, you know, here's, I, I would push back on that a little bit. I think, cause, and, and it's based, it's based on, it's based on my watching football's evolution. If you think about it, okay, think about the original game of football. What is the thing that made football explode? The forward, the forward pass. pass. The for, there you go. Well put. The forward pass. That's exactly it. And that's a tweak. That's a tweak. If you would watch the game, and Teddy Roosevelt was, was you know, in the era of, uh, in that era, People were worried. He was worried. He was glad for sport. Of course, he loved sport. But there was a there was a concern that football was a deadly game. So it deadly was. That, that yeah, well, yeah, and it was. And tweaks were made. And then that the as the NFL came around, it is constantly tweaking the game. If you look at a game that I love defenses, but if you when I was watching this stuff and watching these these broadcasts from the early seventies, there was a season. I think it was seventy two or seventy three where just defenses were just crushing. I mean, suffocating everybody. Mm-hmm. And the feeling was the game was not interesting. And they changed, They made rules changes. So for baseball, to me, one of the things that's exciting, stolen bases are exciting. Home runs are exciting, but not if all you're doing is going for launch angles. So there might be a way to tweak. I don't, and again, I don't know how to tweak to make the game more pro-stolen base. I'll tell you the, the biggest thing, Sean. It, okay. is, it is scientific fact, and, 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 and analysts – of the game know this, that when a pitcher takes more time, he's more effective because he doesn't tire out as much. And like putting a, a pitch clock in will help a little bit. You know, I'll, I'll grant that because mm-hmm. just because it'll speed up the game. Like, look at you in the seventies, you, the games were two to two and a half hours long. And the biggest reason is the pitchers take more time, but they're more effective that way too. They they just kind of bring more velocity and bring more to their pitches. Um, that that would play a role. It would also in, increase offense for sure because yeah you know so so that that weighs in. Although offense is pretty you know pretty high now, but for other reasons um, yeah, because the game has become a strikeout or home run game, and uh, is, it's hard to change that you know. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I, I, we'd have to, like, I guess we could all convene our, our baseball. And I wouldn't mind doing that, thinking what could we come up with to make the game, to tweak it to make it more relevant. Because if you, you, if you I, use the I analogy. I give you three things. I give okay, you three things ahead. right now. All right, go ahead. Steroids, cork, <laughs> corked bats, and fighting. I love it. Do it. All right. Well, there we go. Thank you, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> but, Okay. But no, seriously, there is something to what you're saying with steroids and the cork bats. I mean, think about if you could tweak it so that it wasn't a, a strikeout or home run game, but you had it so that, you know, you did something with the I know uniformity of distance of the outfield wall. I mean, anything like that, just throwing it out. But think about like what the, the analogy between the pitcher and football defense. Pitcher's taking I, I, more move, time, move right? The, move Makes the mound back. Well, but I'll yeah. say this too. Here's sure. the other. Here's the other thing about extreme, baseball. I think. Here, here's the other thing about baseball, and I and I, I'm I'm going to pose this more as a question because this, this is more a, a, from from an observer standpoint. Um, to me, baseball is such a more complex game than the other major professional sports. There are than than football. Oh yeah. Absolutely. In different ways. I think they're both complex in different ways. I think they're both complex in different ways. That's what I would say. But but in in terms of for a casual viewer to follow, 
Mm-hmm. Like, yes, foot, football is very complex to play and to understand all the things mm-hmm. that are going on. But to oh, just yeah, stop and sure. watch a football game, the general premise is fairly obvious and you can kind of get a sense gotcha. of what's going on. But baseball, the complexity of what is going on on every single pitch, whether there's runners on base, whether you've shifted your infield, shifted your outfield, what the pitcher's going to throw – like there's just so much to it, and and I and, and the point being, I don't want to take that away. I think that's the beauty of baseball. Right. That's what makes baseball so fascinating. Well, is they are taking away the shift, but it literally baseball is literally that game where the game can change on one pitch, on one sure. single pitch, and like can, football, yeah, it could change on one play, but you know, a lot of it's just timing. That one play could be, you know, in the fourth quarter with a minute to go, whereas baseball could change on one pitch in the third inning. Like it is just it's a very unique game in that aspect. So and and, and that's why I say I don't want to remove that, but I, I don't know if there's a way to educate or somehow break some of that complexity down so people could appreciate it, but without having to dig into the nuance of all of it. I see. I, I wouldn't go there, Howard. I mean, I would rather change that aspect of the game. And again, I'm looking just at football. Just having really, it was. It's fascinating, and anybody can do it. Just go on YouTube and just watch these old broadcasts. It's fascinating to watch these changes to stuff that I like. For example, I love the old defenses that would just crush people. I mean, I love watching defenses just shut things down. But that's not popular for most people. And those defenses, like the old Lawrence Taylor Giants defense, the 4-6 of the Bears, the Steel Curtain, the no-name defense, flex, all that stuff, that's just not there anymore. Mm-hmm. And the game that's there now is this wide-open you know, pinball, and I still enjoy it. It's different. I realize that it – and it took me a little while to enjoy it more, again, to really get back to it. Yeah, that's because why they, I could now appreciate promoting flag football. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I th- I, th- I think you've got to take baseball. That baseball, for example, if I'm not mistaken, Richard uh, and Eric will, will you know let me know. I believe that the shift is being certain shifts are being eliminated as a rule change. Right? There are some limitations to it now, and I think yeah, yeah, I, I think for the better, but I certainly don't know this. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's the way you've got to look at. It. And the mound going back, I mean, Eric, I mean, they raised and lowered the mound before, so why they is have. that? But it's been you sixty know. feet six inches since like eighteen eighty. Well, yeah, but, you know. well, I guess this is my other question for and this in, is again, in eighteen eighty guys weren't six foot four throwing a hundred. <laughs> oh no, miles. I'm totally with you. I, I'm totally with you that like yeah, it's like there's you know pitchers now. It's like there's so many pitchers that throw gas. The number one baseball card. And I'm only saying this because I've been collecting lately of the seventies is Nolan Ryan. And Nolan Ryan has two things that really made him popular. One is he threw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, and two is he pitched till he was 47 years old. But now there's so many pitchers that throw 100 miles an hour. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's like almost like a deluge. You know, it's been diluted really because, like, the, the athletes are better now. Let me right. ask a question to, to you guys because you, you are way more knowledgeable on baseball and into baseball than I am. My question is kind of going back to the point I mentioned is does making more offense make baseball more enjoyable? Because I think that's really like all the things we're talking about in terms of rule changes, 
the usually bomb end up increasing. They they can shorten the game, but as you were saying, they might in, they might change the dynamics of the game. And this is kind of to your point too, Sean, about like what changed football, the forward pass, and it opened up the game to be more offensive, more more entertaining. If you look at the NHL, that the in in the in the 90s when the the Devils were winning all their Stanley Cups, they were Ooh. clogging up the neutral zone and nobody right. could go anywhere. And nobody wanted to watch that because it was boring. So what did they do? They made a ton of rule changes. They even changed the width of the of the neutral zone. They made a million changes to get more offense into the game. And you can exactly. say the same for the NBA. Why did they put in a shot clock? Why does nobody run four corners offenses anymore when they have to run down a clock in college basketball on the final four? Because there's a shot clock now because we want more offense. So does baseball need more offense or does that, does that denigrate more. the game? They need the ball and play more. So yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Ah, that's a great point. You can do that by 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 really enforcing um, a pitch a pitch time a timing the pitcher. Um, uh, like I said, yeah, offense is like they've had years with tons of offense in recent. It, you know, during the the steroid era, yeah, it was it was a more popular sport. Um, yeah, but like the game has become so much home run or, or strikeout now. That you what you need is more scoring, but via you know a, a different means. Right. Yeah, uh, you, you don't even need to have more scoring. Like having a, a, a great athletic shortstop make a, a diving play, you know, turning a double play, turning a triple play. Those are exciting things that that you don't get to see anymore. You know. Yeah. Now, nowadays, I, I think- if there's a runner on first. Everybody's swinging for the fences, and he never gets to second base because he had three strikeouts behind him. So, yeah, the ball in play will would you know definitely increase the viewability of the game. Uh, I think uh, I would agree with you. I do think people like offense, and that's you know that's there too. But ball in play is definitely the place to start with that. All right, let's move on to our last. Just one last thing. Let's just put a bow on the bow on it just before we call. Good. I wanted to ask the same question about the NBA. Do you guys, and then maybe it's not a relevant question. Maybe it's not, you guys are good with it. I find that I, I found the 80s style of play more interesting than the current style, which is a lot of three pointers. What do you guys think? Are you guys like the, the current style, which is just a lot of well, range 80s, shooting? 80s was Showtime yeah. Lakers. Come on. But it was, it was, it was only with the very top tier of the league, though. <laughs> right, and, and it's a different kind of play too. Actually, even yeah. though it was Showtime, it's a, that I find that ex, that was exciting. That was more fast offensive break. pieces, fast breaks. It's not about just everybody going around, you know, around the line, three point line, and just I don't know. It's just that doesn't work as well for me. But that may just be me. Do you guys like the way the game has been played now? Yeah, I think they should just get rid of the uh, three point line. You can still take your jump line. line. Yeah. Back behind you. Uh, what what do you think, Howard? You know, I would say one thing that I notice when I watch the NBA is there are a lot of times where I see a shot go up and the offensive team, majority of their players are already heading back to the defensive end and nobody's rebounding. Like, mm-hmm. And I see it happen more often than not where I was like – and and it started to get to a point where I'm like, what is going on with the game? Like, It's an analytic thing. Is it? It's fascinating because yeah. I'm like, what happened? Like there used to be – like you used to fight for rebounds and now it's like 
no, we're just going to, we're going to, you know, somebody's going to throw up a shot and we're already like three, if not four of the other players on my team are already behind me on the other side of the half court line. So it's a very different game to me to, to even watch. So yeah, uh, that's what I, that's what I think too. Eric, what's I, the I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I enjoy that. I'm, I'm, st- yeah. I'm still d- trying to trying to process that. Dennis that's, Rodman that's would not I be in the NFL, uh, NBA, in today's um, NBA. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, here's the thing. It's like the NBA now is so like, I'm a child of the eighties. I, I was a freshman in high school the year the Lakers drafted magic. And I became like, my best friend was a basketball fan. And I, I drank the Kool-Aid and like I was, had a bong, you know, um, the game now I think is a better game than I've ever seen it. The only thing is mm. the shooters are so good and it takes that element away because there's so much three-point shooting. Because let's face it, it's just analytics. Three points counts for more than two points, and guys can shoot at a 40% clip. The reason that guys don't crash the boards anymore is because the game is so fast. When guys crash the boards and any kind of long rebound is going to result in a fast break the other way, resulting in easy baskets for the other team. The game is so much better played just from defensive schematics everything everything you know to me the best time was before the three-point shot really took over um but that's just an evolution of the sport um it's odd that like the game to me is more exciting now and yet i'm less interested in it and i think it could be just that like it's just when you when you eat really good food all the time it becomes less interesting in some ways so i think that's kind of like what the nba is facing a little bit um it's a great sport this isn't as interesting to me anymore. Maybe I've just gotten my fill of it. Yeah. I think, maybe, you know, I'll go back to it. It's like the effectiveness of the three-point shot and, you know, people pulling up and, and draining that, you know, long-range jumper. Um, no rebounding, no, you know, down, you know, posting up or, you know, in-out game. A lot of that has to do with that three-point line. You know, if you got rid of the additional point for an outside jumper, you know, and equalize the, you know, the reward for if you take the outside jumper, which is a, you know, you get 45% of the time for your top shooters or, you know, and equalize the point value for a big man who can, you know, dunk the ball and he's like a 70% shooter from, you know, six feet out. I think it I think changes the dynamic something. of the game. I think you have something. It won't happen, but it's a great point. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I mean, you, uh, I, it is. Uh, although I, uh, you did have in the 80s, you still had the three, and you still had people playing a different game. The analytics, like you say, Eric, the, the analytics in every sport, these guys have taken over everything. Uh, <laughs> and, and for me, frankly, taken a lot of the joy out of uh, out yeah, the game. Wait, 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 wait. This is coming from the same guy who started out this entire podcast talking about the analytics of television viewership of sports. I mean, I'm just talking about what that was. But I mean, to me, it is I mean, I, I appreciate it. Look, if it works, you use it. And I, I get that. Um, and I think what happens now is as these guys are so proficient in terms of their analysis, that's when you do have to tweak the game. And so maybe like what Richard's saying, maybe that is a thought. I like the three-point shot. I like that it's there. I just like a game that it, that is more balanced between outside and inside play. That's, that's what you're talking, Sean, the balance. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's for me, that's more interesting. Now that doesn't mean that, that, like I say, I, it took me a while to kind of come around to modern NFL and I, I enjoy watching the game and I've started to kind of come back around to modern NBA. And I also think some stuff is happening where, you know, there's an ebb and flow as you get this extreme outside game. Now you are getting some big men. Giannis is a great example of guys who can go down and do interesting stuff down low, you know, because now there's an opportunity, right? So maybe that's essentially what will happen. But yeah, I'm not, again, it's like what you were saying, Eric, maybe a little bit like you were saying, Howard, it's, it's not, it's not as much fun or interesting for me, but it may take time and maybe Richard, they do need to do a little tweak just to get, I mean, I loved watching the moves like in the paint, the kind of things that Dr. J used to do, or yeah. you'd see, you know, magic or the, or for me, especially the, the battles the Knicks had down below, but yeah, I get I it. You know, scoring, yeah. Scoring. I get it works for everybody, but I'd like a little more balance. That's what, it, yeah. that's what, it what, what may be interesting. And we'll see how this all plays out is the, the NBA's, uh, from a business standpoint, from what I've seen, the NBA's next big move is in the African continent, and they're making a huge investment into the NBA Africa League, and it will become a player development pipeline. So how will the game be taught and coached there will be how those players come out and and evolve into playing in the NBA. So to the point of if if they're if if it's the game as it's currently played, then you're going to see more of the same. Or if there's an evolution or a different approach to the game, it may come with a change to to this talent pipeline that that we'll see probably in the next you know seven to ten years. All right. All right. On that note, guys, let's just get some closing thoughts. Anything you want to say in summation? Let's start with Howard. Uh, yes, I want, I want to make sure, because I, I mentioned this on a previous podcast and it's very important to me to, uh, to reiterate the rise of lacrosse mm. and disc golf. Disc golf. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just, just as a, as an FYI, the premier lacrosse league signed an eight figure deal, I believe with ESPN, all 47 games will be broadcast across the ESPN platforms. Their viewership numbers are up. Their ticket sales revenue is up. Like it's all trending in the right direction. Um, so be on the lookout for premier lacrosse league coming to a market near you and the disc golf community Obviously, the pandemic was a huge boost for it because people were able to go outside and play something uh, like disc golf. They've unfortunately been caught up in the supply chain challenges um, and the cost of goods and the ability to move goods. Uh, so that's been a little bit of hampering things. But the cost of the equipment, just the discs themselves, have, have almost doubled in price. Um, so, uh, But it is, it is still on the rise, and I encourage everybody to get out there and play. The crowd was booing. I would not totally lacrosse. do that. The, the, the crowd was not booing lacrosse. Just so the listener knows, lacrosse is a good Native American sport, uh, but they were booing disc golf. So anyway, that's a shame. That's a, that's that's a shame I, that they I, were. I'm, I'm kidding you. I'm kidding you. Okay, so that, it is interesting that that is a sport on the rise. Um, that's a more participatory rise, Howard. Is that really what that's more about? Uh, it's a oh. bit of both. It is def- definitely a more part- participatory rise, but again, the sport is being covered. Uh, on uh, it was picked up by CBS Sports over the pandemic for to fill obviously to fill time, uh, but it has a, a very large following across uh, social and YouTube channels, 
and I, you know, keep an eye out. It, it, it may make its appearance on more larger channels as, as things develop at the, at the pro level. All right. Uh, Eric. Yes. Closing thoughts. Um, you know, sports will always going to survive. It's always going to have a place, you know, its impact, you know, when we talking primarily about professional sports, you know, is, is what we're considering here. Um, I think sports is in a, is in a good place. Uh, I totally do see, you know, esports and, you know, younger America, um, having an impact. I don't think foot, I think football is almost untouchable. I think basketball isn't far away. I like the idea of another sport come along. I always thought, um, rugby or Australian rules football would be a cool sport, um, to follow. Um, but I, you know, I, I think there's something to be said about participating not in front of a screen and, you know, on some levels that's just going to be inevitable, but, but it, this pro sports can make it work in its favor. I don't think there's any question about that. It's just the same way. Like, look at you can, they monetized a lot of things that were free and like, you know, whether it's advertising or whatnot with, with YouTube, you know, there's a way and, and pro sports is smart. You know, they'll, they'll find a way not saying they are smart though. Richard. So, um, going, uh, back, <laughs> going back to, um, the uh, beginning topics about uh, relevancy. Um, F1 um, has enjoyed a renaissance in the last uh, three, four years. Uh, it's, it's viewership and, and it's um, and the way people consumed it have you know, grown tremendously. And most of that has to do with you know, the change in uh, the ownership of the FIA um, and how how the new ownership group approached uh, using social media. And I think other professional sports um, leagues should actually pay attention a little bit. And, you know, they can continue to, you know, enjoy the same growth. If they play their cards right. All right. Well, um, I just want to leave the listener with uh, this thought that sports are uh, central to human life and human existence uh, in terms of civilization because they teach us some valuable lessons that ennoble the soul, in my opinion. They teach you about fair play. They teach you about how to work with other people. They teach you about how to challenge yourself. And so for those people who think of sports as this kind of bullheaded, brutish activity, I invite you to pay more attention to the beauty and the grandeur of the journey the athlete takes than to what you think culture or commerce says about it. Sports are important, and I believe they always will be. And on that note, I want to thank our sports fanatics for today. Mr. Howard Broadwin. Mr. Eric Bauer. You're not booing? Was what? I said you're not <laughs> booing? No booing, no booing. And Mr. Richard Stone. And I am Sean Marlowe. Now you this boo. Has been no booing there either. 
I'm Joe Marluk, and this has been the 34 Circe Salon, the Parallax Channel. We are talking sports and sports relevancy. Thank you all for listening. We will be back again very soon. Take care. Love you, Sean. Next time, gentlemen. Play ball. Good time. <laughs> <laughs>